there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're struggling to manage the stress and anxiety of the current coronavirus pandemic, and let's be real, folks, who isn't? Then this is the episode for you because my next guest is someone who has decades of experience guiding students of all ages through various meditation and mindfulness practices to help them manage the stresses of life. And that was way before the coronavirus. But before I introduce you to Hugh Byrne, the director of the Center for Mindful Living and a leading expert in the field of mindfulness and positive habit change, I want to make sure you've signed up to get a free copy of the Just Brew It ebook with caffeinated career advice from some of the rock star professionals who've been guests on T4C, including NPR journalist and podcaster Guy Raz and Dr. Janet Yellen, the former chairwoman of the Federal Reserve Bank. And it is super easy to do. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and you'll see the sign up box right there on the homepage. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career meditative conversation. And my wonderful next guest is Hugh Byrne, PhD, the director of the Center for Mindful Living, a guiding teacher with the Insight Meditation Community of Washington, and a leading expert in the field of mindfulness and positive habit change. Hugh has practiced meditation for 30 years and completed a four-year meditation teacher training program with Jack Kornfield, Joseph Goldstein, and other senior insight meditation teachers. Hugh also teaches mindfulness-based stress reduction, also known as MBSR, and has completed a three-year training in somatic experiencing, a mind-body approach to healing trauma. Hugh's book, The Here and Now Habit, which came out in 2016, brings together ancient Buddhist teachings with the latest findings of neuroscience to help readers find greater freedom and happiness in their lives. While his latest book, just out this month in April 2020, is entitled Habit Swap, Mindfulness Skills to Change Habits for Good. It's a deeper dive into skills and practices to help us let go of unhealthy habits and develop more beneficial ones. He also teaches all around the world and his classes are now available online. We'll make sure to include links in our show notes. And last but not least, Hugh is also a very popular teacher on Insight Timer. He's got over 20 meditations that you can listen to. Insight Timer is an app. You can also find it on the web. Hugh, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I don't remember. Do you drink coffee? I do. Um, thank you, Andrea. It's great to be with you. I do drink coffee. Funnily enough, I, I find I don't drink so much in this period of lockdown because I mainly drink when I'm out, you know, at a coffee shop. But I did go out this morning to a local, lovely local coffee shop in, in Kensington, Java Nation, and I had a very, very nice latte. So <laughs> I've had my caffeine for today. <laughs> well, of course, black tea, having grown up in the UK, I have to drink 
black tea, but that's a little bit less caffeinated. But yeah. Well, I wasn't sure. I know there are, of course, meditation teachers who drink caffeine, but I just, I don't know what you would be like, and you know, on a lot of caffeine, I'm guessing you would still be pretty zen. You're right. I hope so. So Hugh, as you know, I reached out to you a few weeks ago because I wanted to tap into your wisdom and your expertise to help the Time for Coffee listeners, many of whom are college students, some of whom are going to be graduating in just a matter of weeks, and to help them on a couple of fronts. One is for those who may be interested in exploring careers in meditation and mindfulness. And the other, of course, is to help them cope with the emotional and psychological toll the coronavirus is taking on them. And that's not to say that the rest of us won't benefit from your wisdom. Of course, we will. But for college students, especially who are used to the ever present community, their friends around them all the time, living in dorms, living in, in apartments with tons of socializing and fun activities, and then the intellectual benefits of being at college inside the classroom. This is an even greater shock, right? Because right. they're cut off from just about all in-person contact outside of maybe their immediate family. So why don't we start there first? What would you like to say to our young listeners who are stuck inside their homes, cut off from everyone outside, maybe one or two or three people? Yeah, it's a wonderful question to begin with. The first thing I would say is to kind of not skim over the fact of how unprecedented, what a dramatic change this is for you know, for your life and for many of our lives. I think the place to begin is really to recognize how much of a change it is, because it's easy for our minds to kind of go immediately into, you know, I should be doing something about it. What can I do? Or kind of maybe even feeling like, oh, wallowing in this, you know, I, oh, what can I do? What a terrible thing that could happen to happen. And to be able to just begin by saying, recognizing, you know, this is really, this is hard. You know, I mean, assuming for many, many of folks listening, it is hard. It's really difficult for all the reasons that you talked about. And to, first of all, acknowledge that and to allow yourself to feel what you're feeling. And that's really where mindfulness begins, where it begins by acknowledging and recognizing where we are right now. And if it's a place of sadness or loss or grief, to really let ourselves feel that, to not get lost in the stories about it, oh, this is going to go on forever. Not that, kind of notice those, but allow ourselves to feel if there's grief, really take that in, breathe into it, let ourselves feel it in the body, let the emotion come and go. Because that's really the beginning of working through any situation, particularly any difficult situation. We have to first recognize how things are and how things are impacting on us. And then we're more able to say, okay, this is difficult. It really has kind of changed my life, my reality in very significant ways. How can I respond to this? How can I respond to this in a kind of a, a way that's helpful to myself, to others, where I stay balanced, where I stay peaceful, you know, and, and not 
be overwhelmed by the situation. So that's the place I would begin. And then we can obviously talk about where we go from there. Yeah. Well, I guess one of the ways that we go from there is to make peace with those emotions, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's recognizing that having the emotions is not in any way wrong. If in this period we feel, any of us feel anxious, fearful, stressed, worried, uncertain, any of these emotions, the first thing really to recognize is that that's a really natural and normal response. It would be a bit strange if we didn't, if the world around us was changing and we were just going, hum, 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 ho, ho, no big deal. You know, that would be kind of probably be covering something up or ignoring it. So to to really acknowledge what we're feeling and if it's anxiety or if it's fear, those are natural and normal feelings. They come to us through millions of years of evolution. They're survival responses, you know, how our ancestors ancestors responded to threatening situations. We, you know, they go into fight or flight and we still have those responses today and we need them to respond to real threats. We need to be able to kind of get into action, defend ourselves, run if it's something we need to get away from. So just to recognize that that's a natural and normal response. And then the key really is how do then do we meet those feelings, those emotions when they do come up? Because if we meet those feelings without awareness, very easily we can either suppress them, kind of, I shouldn't be feeling this, it's wrong for me to feel this, or it's too much, and I kind of stuff them down, or else we can act them out. We might blame somebody else for them, for having these feelings, you know, that that I'm having, someone is responsible, someone is to blame. So that's another way of avoiding what we're feeling. So if we can bring awareness to the feelings, then we can notice them by saying, allow ourselves to feel the emotions and recognize that any emotion, fear, anxiety, joy, whatever it is, lasts for a certain amount of time. They say, researchers say, you know, a minute, a minute and a half maybe, and then it passes. So to be able to allow ourselves to feel what we're feeling. The spiritual teacher Eckhart Tolle said something that resonates with me. He says, what you accept, you go beyond. What you accept, you go beyond. If you allow yourself to feel the difficult emotions, then they they no longer kind of have their hooks in you. Carl Jung, the psychologist, said what you resist persists. If you you know, push something away, it actually doesn't go away. It stays and comes back in different forms. So allowing ourselves to feel what we're feeling is really the kind of the doorway to responding in helpful and beneficial ways to ourselves and to others. Is that what you would call living in a mindful way? Very much so, yeah. Mindfulness is really another word for awareness. It's a conscious awareness. It's a conscious, non-judging awareness of whatever we're feeling, whatever we're experiencing, whatever we're aware of. It's just to say, okay, this is what I'm feeling and allowing ourselves to feel it. So it is, it's a conscious awareness of our present moment experience without judging it. Because often we'll have feelings and we'll immediately go to judgment. Oh, I shouldn't be feeling angry or I shouldn't be feeling judgmental. And then we kind of suppress that, but we don't allow ourselves to feel what we're feeling. There's nothing wrong with an angry thought if we don't act it out on somebody or on the world, if we can just allow ourselves to notice, oh, anger coming up, let it come, let it go. So it's bringing 
this kind, non-judging awareness to whatever it is that's coming up. And that leads us or can lead us to more helpful responses, helpful choices that we can make. Where do I go from here? What steps do I take? Well, exactly. And there's a big difference, I think, between noticing emotions that come up and being aware of them and not wallowing in them. How can our young listeners keep themselves from kind of going into the depths of despair? A great question. I think one very helpful way of doing it is just by noticing. If you feel sadness or grief and allow yourself to feel it without getting lost in the story. So the thing to notice if your mind goes into a place of, oh, this is terrible, this is never going to change, my life is falling apart. Once you get into those thoughts, what's most helpful is just to notice them as thoughts. You know, not to believe them because we have a million thoughts, you know, and if all of them were true, we'd be going in all different directions because we have contradictory thoughts, we have thoughts that change all the time. It's really important to be able to discern what is something a wise thought, what what is helpful for me. And so to notice when we're having these, let's say, thoughts of wallowing, oh, this is terrible, never going to change, and we kind of sink into that, just notice that and say, okay, can I just be aware of that? that thought? Can I let it go? And what can be very helpful is to actually consciously replace that thought with another kind of thought. So for example, if you find yourself wallowing, feeling sorry for yourself, what can be very helpful is just almost like change the channel and say, what about if I reflected on what I'm grateful for? All the things in my life, you know, in spite of what's going on and the difficulty of what's going on, what do I really have? Well, I have my loved ones. I have my family. I have my friends. I still have a place, you know, depending on the situation, I have a place to live. I have food on the table. I have good health. There's so many things in our lives that we take for granted. And, you know, as you know, gratitude is one of the most powerful emotions in terms of mental, emotional, psychological well-being. It's connected with all sorts of well-being. So it really helps us to reflect on gratitude. So that can be a way of shifting out of a more negative or self-absorbed mind state or emotion and shift and recognize, oh, this is what I have. I really appreciate that. And just doing that, when I do that, it just kind of the world changes. It's like shifting to a different a different channel. You know, I, I get out of the, the kind of self-judging or self-absorbed kind of thinking. And then I think, okay, I have all of this. I have all these things to, to appreciate, to be thankful for. So that's one example of just not identifying with your own thoughts. I really like that. And you mentioned gratitude and how gratitude basically, and I'm going to put words in your mouth here, is lighting up different parts of the brain, which I think help us to change that channel. What is the neuroscience behind that, Hugh? The neuroscience supports what people have tended to find from their, you know, for their own experience over many centuries of doing practices of mindfulness and meditation is that we can cultivate these mind states, positive beneficial mind states and emotions. And what the neuroscience is showing is they activate different parts of the brain. And 
release chemicals and that have very positive effects on the mind and the body and the nervous system and are overall identified, associated with well-being, gratitude, generosity, compassion, these qualities, that we can actually cultivate them and they can become really the qualities that inform our day-to-day lives. Essentially, what I'm saying is we can live more happily, more joyfully, more peacefully when we cultivate these qualities of mind and of heart, just in the same way or the opposite way, if we cultivate anger or blame or judgment or hatred, if we think thoughts about, oh, this person's so terrible, they're always doing this. The more we do that, the more we strengthen the pathways in the brain that are actually associated with stress, more unpleasantness, more suffering, that when we do that, we're actually harming ourselves. So the more we kind of spend our time caught up in division and blaming others for how things are, the more unhappy we are. It's really as simple as that. And the more we develop and cultivate qualities like gratitude and like kindness and compassion, the more our own lives are enhanced by these qualities. And other people will kind of feed off of those because we're so, as you know, we're so affected by each other's emotions. So somebody walks into a room and they're really angry. You feel it. It's like energetically you feel that. Similarly or conversely, somebody walks in and very peaceful, very calm, very at ease. It's like the whole temperature of the room can come down. Or just in sharing and just just talking, if one is doing it in a calm and peaceful way, what happens is that the other people's nervous systems come to kind of regulate themselves through what they're hearing and what they're feeling and the energy that they're experiencing from that other person. So it's really important for ourselves and for our connections with others, the qualities really that we cultivate in our lives. And this is why I think the practice of mindfulness and meditation can be so helpful. It can help us really develop and kind of enhance these qualities in our lives. Absolutely. And that is so powerful, especially now when we all feel such a lack of control over our own lives. And for our young listeners, especially those who may be thinking about, oh my goodness, how am I going to get a job? I'm graduating. And what am I going to do to pay the bills? Where you're feeling panicked and anxiety and maybe anger and all of those unhealthy feelings, Hugh is actually saying by cultivating the empathy, compassion, kindness, you can actually control your own mood and frame of mind. And you talk about that in your latest book, Habit Swap, Mindfulness Skills to Change Habits for Good. Isn't that right? Yes, exactly. And, you know, I really want to emphasize is the importance of turning that kindness towards ourselves, really to begin with ourselves. Because sometimes I often find with people I've worked with over the years, they can be very kind and compassionate to others, but they're very 
often very harsh, very judgmental, very critical towards themselves. You know, there's some belief that they may have of, oh, I don't deserve to be kind to myself. You know, some belief that they may have developed during, maybe during childhood. You may know I've been working over the years, about for about seven or eight years, with humanitarian aid workers who are working on the Syrian refugee crisis and other refugee crises in Africa and the Middle East. And when we've been doing mindfulness training and helping them build resilience, doing the very difficult work that they're doing, which is kind of akin to first responders here and healthcare workers here in the pandemic. And the phrase we use with them is the one we all know from getting on a plane and just before the plane takes off, we're told, in the event of an emergency, put on your own mask before assisting others. And we know why it's important to do that. If we're not able to breathe and we're busy putting on our child's mask or an older person's mask and we're not able to breathe ourselves, we're not going to be able to be helpful to that person. And I've always felt it's a very powerful kind of metaphor for our own lives, that if we want to really be helpful for others, our loved ones in our lives, or maybe we do work where we're engaged with supporting people in one area of healthcare or therapy or whatever, it might be or meditation teaching, that we have to really take care of ourselves, first of all. If aid workers are stressed and anxious and burned out, they're not going to be available for the refugees that they're seeking to support. It just won't work, even if they want to be. The nature of things is if we're in that fight off light place and that's where we're chronically living, you know, most of the time, then it becomes almost impossible to really open up to others because we're so focused on our own well-being, our own survival. So it really, we say to the aid workers, it's not a luxury and it's not self-absorbed to take care of yourself. It's actually essential. You have to do it if you're going to be effective. You have to cultivate kindness, compassion towards yourself. And there's very, very good, helpful practices for doing that, for really cultivating kindness to ourselves. It could be just simply putting your hand on your heart, on your belly, just recognizing if you're stressed or you're anxious, of take a breath or two and just wish yourself well. May I be, may I be happy, may I be safe, may I be kind to myself. May I accept myself as I am. And even just taking a few breaths and kind of coming back to ourselves and recognizing if we're in a state of being stressed or anxious or or worried, that we can, even if it's just for 30 seconds or a minute, we can just kind of drop down out of that high level of stress and for a while just calm down. And if we can do that on a regular basis, we can really regulate ourselves. You know, we can really come back into balance. We may be out of balance. We may be kind of forcing our way through the day. I've got to get through this. Oh, I've got to get through this and made it through this. And we carry a lot of tension in our bodies and our minds tend to be caught up in worry and anxiety. So just having that ability to take a few deeper breaths just step back, be kind to ourselves, take care of ourselves. Then we're in a position to be more available to others, be more supportive of others in responding to their needs. That's so beautiful. We've now mentioned on a couple of occasions or alluded to meditative practices, talked about mindfulness. What is the difference between the two? 
between meditation and mindfulness. It's fairly simple in that meditation you could talk about as a kind of generic way of paying attention. And there's many different kinds of meditation, many different forms of meditation, different traditions of meditation. And mindfulness meditation is one form of meditation. You could have other forms, do have other forms of meditation, like where you cultivate compassion or you cultivate loving kindness, or you specifically cultivate concentration, or you can do meditations that are visualizations. There are various different kinds of meditation. And mindfulness is one form of meditation that is bringing a kind, non-judging awareness to one's experience, to our experience. Whatever it is that comes up, we make space for it. We allow it. We let it come and let it go. And we see that everything, if it can be met in this spacious, kind way, can come and go in its own time. And the power of that is that it really helps us see that ultimately we have the capacity to cope with really anything that comes up for us with training, because we can't just switch it on, you know, for a minute and then expect a lifetime of practices to change. But with training, that we can learn to really experience whatever it is that comes up and still stay balanced, still stay kind of even on an even keel, as it were. So mindfulness, the power of mindfulness is that it really gives us qualities or helps strengthen qualities that allow us to kind of enhance our lives by being willing to open to whatever our experience is. The other thing I'd say about mindfulness is mindfulness is a quality that we can cultivate through formal meditation. That's where you might take, say, 10 or 15 minutes, sit down, close your eyes, bring awareness to your experience, kind of put aside other things for a little while for that period of time, however long it is. You know, I call that formal meditation. But informal, you can practice mindfulness informally in daily life. As I'm talking to you, I can bring mindfulness to my body and to my feelings as I'm speaking to you. If I'm walking to my car, I can be mindful while I'm walking. Rather than being lost in thoughts, I can be aware of my experience. I can be mindful while I'm washing the dishes. Again, I'm not lost in the future or the past. I'm really present for washing dishes. So mindfulness is both the formal practice of meditation, but also everyday life, you know, being present for whatever it is that we're doing in our lives. So that's kind of how I would encapsulate the kind of an explanation of those two terms, mindfulness and meditation. Fantastic. Thank you. I was going to say when I'm washing the dishes, it's definitely a time for daydreaming, but <laughs> if people want to be mindful, right, right. I, I respect that. So for our young listeners, Hugh, who may be interested in exploring mindfulness and meditation as a potential career path, is there a way for, for them to try on this field for size without a huge commitment of time or maybe an internship or volunteer work that might help them get a better feel for whether this could be a good fit for them? That's a great question. You know, as a, you might say, as a career path, it's relatively new in our culture and our society in the West and in Asian tradition over 25 or more centuries, the way that the career path would be to become a monk or a nun. That was typically kind of 
And that's not for everybody necessarily. Many people do in, in Asian countries, in Burma and Thailand. Young people would often go to the monastery for a year or for some period of time not for the whole life. I mean, a few would go for life, but just for a period. And that could be very helpful. It's like a gap year, you might say, in a monastery. In the West, mindfulness has you know, become a really, it's reached into many, many areas of life really in the last 10 or 20 years. And the career path would be to be a meditation teacher. And there's different traditions you know, coming out of different Asian traditions, but typically would be through doing long retreat practice. It might be doing a retreats of a month to three months, you know, including retreats as well of a week or two weeks, and really deepening into the practice and normally working with a teacher or more than one teacher. And then at a certain point, it might be after 10 years of practice or a number of years of practice, being invited to teach, to begin teaching a kind of apprenticeship in that area. Now, more recently, as the really the demand for mindfulness teachers has expanded, you know, there's a lot more interest in mindfulness in many, many different fields. There are more programs available. And one is, you mentioned Jack Cornfield, who I did a four-year training with Jack and other teachers a decade and more ago. And Jack Cornfield and Tara Brach are two of the best-known meditation teachers in the country and in the world, actually. And they have a teacher training program, a two-year program, which is an excellent program. Well, even before the pandemic was largely online, but with some in-person elements. But it's really a training to, to become a meditation teacher. Now, you don't just do that without having a practice yourself. I mean, you would practice meditation, mindfulness for, you know, typically for a few years, do one or two or more longer retreats and cultivate and develop a regular meditation practice. And if it feels like a direction you might want to go in, want to share what you've experienced and the benefits that you've received with others, that is a path to go in. There are others, but Jack and Tara have a training program now with, I think, around 13 or 1,400 participants in the program who graduate after two years from the program. And they're all over the world. I'm not sure how many countries. I think it's 50 or more countries, including China and Vietnam and a lot of other countries, obviously Europe, US, Australia, New Zealand, all of that. I was a mentor on the first of their training programs with a somewhat smaller number of students. And I can attest to it being a very, very high quality quality program. And there, as I mentioned, there are others as well. So it is more becoming something that people can aspire to doing as a livelihood, as a vocation. It's something I think you really have to be very committed to. And I think anyone who went into it to teach would be committed to sharing, you know, the benefits and your own experience. So there is more and more a, a career path in this area. And I'd be happy to follow up if people have specific questions around around that, Andrea. Wonderful. Well, where can they reach you? How can they reach you, Hugh? A couple of ways. Uh, my name, H-U-G-H, and middle initial G, and then my last name, B-Y-R-N-E, Hugh G. Byrne, and it's one, two, three, and that's at gmail.com. And then my website is just my name, but with a hyphen in the middle. So it's H-U-G-H 
hyphen B-Y-R-N-E, no G in this one, hugh-burn.com. And that you can also reach me through the website, through contacting me there. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to follow up if people have questions in this area or any area really that we've talked about today. Well, that's incredibly generous of you. And we will also link to your website in our show notes. And I just want to highlight for our listeners that Hugh is leading meditation online. There's a Sunday morning class that's online. We will include a link to that. It's Sundays from 1030 Eastern until noon. And I guess there's also a new Tuesday evening class from 7 until 8 p.m. And we will link to that as well. Hugh is the author of the new book, Habit Swap Mindfulness Skills to Change Habits for Good. Hugh, I want to thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community and for helping to give us some of the incredibly important and useful tools to help us cope with this extraordinary situation that we're living with right now, but that can stay with us for the rest of our lives. Thank you so much. So good to be with you. Thank you, Andrea. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.